Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. I'm Debbie Ronka, your host, and I'm so glad that you are here with us today. We're going to tackle the difficult topic of addiction. And if you're a parent who's struggling with a child who's suffering from addiction, today's episode's for you. I have Tammy Ward with me, a mom who knows of this struggle very firsthand herself. She's here to share her story and how she has walked through this difficult season in her life with her son. She was a mom who knew something was wrong. How she stepped in to help her son, and even when he wasn't able to help himself, she was there. Tammy is the creator of Unbound Love and is mentoring moms with children in addiction. She has gained her own personal knowledge, skills, and experience, and she wants to empower other moms, and she wants to help them to learn to live while their child is lost, find peace, and provide the necessary tools to navigate this difficult journey. Well, Tammy, I'm honored to have you today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. Thank you for coming to share about this difficult season and tragic time in your family. And I'm so honored to hear your story, and I know my listeners will as well. Well, thank you, Debbie, for having me on your podcast. I am honored to be here and excited. And want to share my story because I really believe God gave me it so that I can help other moms through this difficult journey. I love your perspective on that, Tammy, because you're one of those people in life that has taken their pain and said, let me use my pain to help others. And gosh, I honor you for that. So why don't you take us from the beginning? I, I know that you were a single mom raising two sons and uh, you, you remarried and you had a son in the military and I yes. think your younger son was going off to college. So yes, why don't you take us from there? Yes. So I did raise my two sons by myself. I was a single mom. Uh, my oldest was in the military, like you mentioned. And then my youngest, I actually remarried when he was a senior in high school. So then we sent him off to college. And this is kind of where the whole story began. Uh, I was talking to him. He was 19 when he actually let me know that he was an addict. And pretty much when he told me, the floor just opened up and I fell down into the pit of hell, which I then had to walk through. So I headed out and went right away and picked him up from college. We got him into an IOP, which is uh, intense outpatient, which means they go uh, daily. So they are not living there like they would in a 30-day rehab. So he was in IOP, and I thought he was doing well. And then one night, he went out, and he just didn't come home. Mm. So... That was very devastating. It was heartbreaking. I was frightened and and filled with fear. I kind of went to the dark side and and went into fear because I didn't know if he was dead or alive or coming back or what he was doing. 
and I leaned into my faith. Uh, my husband, who, like I said, was only two years now, said, you know, he's going to come knocking at the door one day. What are you going to do? And I said, I know what I want to do. I know what I think I should do. And I'm just praying that God will give me the strength and give me the answer when that knock comes on the door. So 11 o'clock one night, he elbows me and goes, hey, baby, there's a knock on the door. Oh. Sure enough. So I jolted out of bed. And at the same time, my heart like leapt because I'm like, that's probably Trevor and he's alive. And then at the same time, it just sunk into the pit of my belly because I knew what I needed to do. So I walked to the door and I opened it. I did not let him step in. We stood on the threshold and I gave him his choices. I said, Trevor, you either go into rehab or you can't come home. And we stood at that door for what felt to me like a lifetime as he hemmed and hawed and stepped side to side and would look up and look down. And finally, he looked me in the eye with tears rolling down his face. And he said to me in a quiet voice, Mom, I just can't. Oh. That was the most difficult moment of my life. And it truly was God giving me the strength because I don't know how I did it. And later on that night, my husband even said to me, how did you do that? I was going to cry. And I took him and I said, come on, let's go upstairs. We're going to pack your duffel bag and I will drop you off wherever you want to go. And we packed his bag and I got him all together and we jumped in the car and I dropped him off at a friend's house. I gave him a huge hug and said, Trevor, I love you with all my heart. You are my heart. And that is why I cannot participate in nor help you to destroy yourself. I said, as soon as you are ready, you reach out to me and I will be here in an instant. But in the meantime, you are in my heart and I am sending you love, light and angels to watch over you until then. He gave me a huge hug and said, Mom, I love you. And we got in the car and as we drove away, I bawled like I never have in my life. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Well, you have me crying now. I'm sitting here I, just in that moment with you as a mother. That had to be so difficult. It was, it was, like I said, it was the hardest, it was the hardest moment in my life. And the crazy thing is I woke up that morning and I even said to my husband, I don't know what this is, but I feel good. And I feel like Atlas, like I could carry the weight of the world and I don't know why. Well, I'll tell you what. That night I knew why, <laughs> because the Lord knew what was coming and he was giving me the strength to do it. And it was not easy to, to give my son that, that choice, to make him make that choice. But I knew without a doubt that if I didn't 
basically break my own heart and have the strength to give him that ultimatum or choice that it was really the only thing that was going to save him. And uh, I knew if I enabled him that that was not going to save him. It would have made things easier for me to let him walk in the door and go, okay, let's go back to IOP and try this again. But that's not what would have been best for him. And I can also tell you that if probably about five years after he was clean and sober, on a Thanksgiving, he called me and he said, Mom, you are my greatest blessing. And I was so touched. I'm like, oh, that is so sweet. And he goes, you don't understand. I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for you. And I'm like, oh, honey. And he goes, no, Mom, I'm serious. He goes, if you hadn't had that strength and if you hadn't not enabled me, I know I would not be alive today. Oh, my word. I was just going to ask you if you ever talked about that moment at the front door. And here he is. He's sharing that he even knew that was the moment that was the instrument in changing his life, the beginning. Oh, it gosh. was. So the journey, of course, continued like it does with all, all addicts in and out of rehab. And the third time was the charm. So I'm very happy and blessed to be able to say that Trevor is 11 years clean and sober. 11 years. Oh, I so celebrate that with you. That's such an incredible story. So Tammy, tell, tell the audience, you know, as moms, we just have these natural instincts about yes. our children. We can kind of know when we you know, something's off a little. What was it that you began to notice about Trevor that we're starting to give you some red flags? Uh, well, what started to give me some red flags was, was always an A student. And so I saw his grades starting to drop some. The consistency in his grades wasn't there, which of course can happen. But as it continued, there were times that he was sleeping in in the morning. It was harder to get him up to go, to get ready to go to school. Or he was, he was always very responsible and would even have an alarm and get up himself. And all of a sudden, I'm finding I'm having to go in and wake him up off and on. Because, you know, he's, I can see he's not downstairs getting ready. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think what else was kind of a big red flag in there. Well, just a little this... difference in his behavior. Mm -hmm. Like I said, he had been very responsible and you were seeing him being forgetful and a little irresponsible. And the problem was I was chalking it up to, as they say, senioritis, but there was more going on. Okay, so that was my next question. This happened before he went to college. This is while he was still mm -hmm. at home. You were seeing some patterns change. Um, and so it just intensified when he went off to college? Yes. Yes, when he got off to college, he did not do well his first semester. I actually had a conversation with him. Having been a single mom, we were very close. So we talked a lot and had great conversations. So I had a conversation with him at Christmas break and really debated sending him back to college. 
but I knew what he was capable of and what he had accomplished before. And I really felt I needed to give him the chance because he said that it was just getting adjusted to everything and that he could turn it around. And the first six weeks he was back at college, I saw an improvement and then the decline again. Did he ever share with you or are you able to share with us what what was the catalyst that made him become an addict? You know, what what was that story? The story with that was he always had curiosity. So don't think you know, say curiosity killed the cat. Kids cannot afford to be curious with drugs, especially drugs nowadays. There are drugs that are instantly addictive. And you're you're lost the minute you try it and or dead with the fentanyl that's going around the first time you try it. Mm-hmm. So his curiosity, some of the friends he was hanging out with, and I believe the transitions that were going on in his life, the transition of me getting remarried, the transition of heading off to college, the transition of feeling that he needed to know what he needed, what he was going to be. Like, I I know the one time he had even said to me, well, how am I supposed to already know what my career is going to be? My life's going to be, how am I going to do all this? It feels very overwhelming. So I think that played into a certain amount of escapism. So I believe it all came together and then just rolled out of control. Also, addiction runs in the family. Genetics play a big part. I I will tell you, I learned that people that become addicted, their brains are already different than ours. So all they have to do is trigger that difference in their brain and they are an addict. So that you know, plays a part that he had that and then went ahead and, you know, played and tripped that trigger. I'm glad you shared that because I was wondering what you learned as a result of being in this journey of addiction. Was there anything that took you by surprise or something different that you learned? And besides the brain part, which is fascinating, that uh, our brains are different if we have addiction in our families. Yes. I'm so glad you shared that. Is there anything else that you learned? Yes, I learned that, well, as we just said, their brains are different. When they're on the drugs, it also alters their brain chemistry and what's going on in their brains. And when they get off the drugs, it takes up to two years for their brains to go back to a more normal chemistry. The other thing that happens when they're in addiction is they are frozen in their development in their life. So if you have someone that started addiction when they were 16 and they're an addict for 20 years, at 36, you're going to wonder why they're acting like they're a 16-year-old because it does stop their developments. I did not know that. Wow, that's really, that's incredible. That is a good um, deterrent you know, to share with people, right, that are considering drugs or different things that if they knew how it really affects their development, I wonder if that would help in some way ahead of time. Well, and it, and it helps parents to know because all of a sudden they're dealing with, you're dealing with your child during their addiction and there are different ways that you do that, knowing with com- how to communicate with them differently, 
maybe recognizing their triggers, your triggers, setting healthy boundaries. I actually do seminars on that. We all need healthy boundaries in all our relationships, but I feel very strongly that you really need them when you have a child lost in addiction, which is really what I was doing when I didn't let them come home. I was setting a boundary and expectations. Um, and when you learn how to communicate with them or some of the tips and tools and tricks, if you want to say to communicating with them when they're in addiction, then it's different when they're coming out of addiction and their brain is going through that transition for those two years. So you really have to, I mean, I studied a lot to gain a lot of knowledge to be able to get the best outcomes that I could for both myself and my son on this journey because addiction doesn't come with a handbook. No, it doesn't. I mean, you're right. We don't get a handbook when we become parents. And then especially when you have a child who's in addiction, what do we know about that? We don't know anything. And so until you have that experience and then it becomes your teacher and here you are, you've taken all of this knowledge that you've learned. So is this what you do in your program called Unbound Love? Yes, I do. So in Unbound Love, which I created, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching because some parents prefer that. But the Unbound Love is my group coaching program. And I go through like six different steps in order to help mentor, empower, educate parents that are struggling through this. So by having the group, they get support, which is so important because it's a very isolating, it's not talked about, it's frequently looked upon with shame and parents themselves feel guilt, like there was something they could have done differently. So it's always been more taboo, although it's coming more to the light. So it's very isolating and lonely. So in the group coaching, it gives them support. We go over um, deepening. I feel that faith is very important. So deepening their identity in Christ, because if they understand how much they are loved and how much their child is loved, it helps them to have the strength and hope and belief to even move through this process. Then self-care. And I don't mean just taking a bubble bath, although that can be part of it. You really have to do things that fill your cup. And when you're lost in this, you don't take time. But you, I liken it to like on the airplane, the oxygen mask drops down and you have to put yours on before you can put on your child's. It's the same thing. You have to have self-care and that's deep breathing and meditation and um the things that will fill your cup so that then you can pour back out, not only to the child that you want to help that's lost in addiction, but to your family who is also being greatly affected and struggling. Then healthy boundaries, what they are, how to set them, how to hold them. Uh, and as I said, I do seminars just on boundaries. And then communication. You have to learn to be a really good active listener, which most of us aren't the best at. We might think we're really good listeners, but active listening is a little bit different. And how to communicate with your child, how to disengage when it's going in the wrong direction. So communication is really important. And then uh, what codependency looks like and not an, an enabling so that you can recognize them. 
and know what they are and then the tools to not do, you know, not do that. <laughs> and uh, last, just kind of putting it all together. And then also by being in the group, what I think is really nice is a lot of the things that you're learning in these steps, you might not have a rise with your child. Maybe your child is MIA for six months. So you're still in the group where you can then tap into, I'm now experiencing this, that maybe you weren't able to ask questions about, you know, during the three-month program. Three months. So is that like a meeting on a weekly basis for three months? Yes. 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 I felt that three months was really uh, important to cover each topic and really get the depth that you need. So in the group, I go in and do trainings twice a week that are live. So each week you get a live training from me. You get access to me for questions and answers. And then I also bring in a, a specialist in an area that comes in either once or twice a month and talks more specifically on the topic that we're going through with those six pillars. What a beautiful program you've created. It just sounds intense, but in a good way, because you're really equipping the parents to know what to expect, what to do, how to handle it. How beautiful. That's incredible what you've created. Uh, I have one question. You were talking earlier about um, certain questions that you ask your child when the, the beginnings of the addiction and then when they're kind of like going through discovery, there's different types of conversations, maybe different types of questions. Can you just give us an idea of the difference, like maybe what you would ask in this particular time and in, in the middle of the recovery, what that would look like? When they're lost in addiction, the first thing is you don't want to talk to them when they're high. You're not going to have a productive conversation at all when they're high. They're not going to remember what you talked about. They aren't going to react well. So if you're going to engage in a conversation with your child, you want to do it in moments when they are not high. That's really huge. And then it's really hard because as parents, it, you know, we love our kids so much and, and our hearts are tied to theirs. Um, to not take what they're doing personally. And they will get. Uh, they're very manipulative. They're, they lie and they manipulate. And although it's something your child probably never did before, like mine didn't, they will lie and they will manipulate because the addiction is trying to keep its hold and stay alive. It almost has a life of its own. So you need to know that in dealing with your child too. So they're going to get very defensive. So when you are conversing with them, you want to know to not take it personally so that then you don't say things that are going to cause them to get defensive, which is then not going to turn into a productive conversation. And the conversations also need to be shorter. Their attention span, which no one's attention span is as long as we think it is, their attention span is very short. So to recap that, sometimes you're, to remember you're, it's the addiction that's talking back to you, not your child. Yes. And not, not to let that penetrate your heart. And I bet that's really hard to do. But once you gain that perspective, 
it must really shield you to a degree. It does. It, it helps. There were times I'd be talking to my son and I would like think of the movie Alien and be like, okay, this isn't him. You know, this is coming out of him, but this isn't him. And he is still in there. And what do I need to be doing to help bring that person to the forefront and back? Um, because you can't save them. They have to want it. That is the, the big component of it, isn't it? When your, yes. son, when your son was ready, I know you ran to him and you got that process going. What would you say to parents who are listening? I know you mentioned having uh, maternal instincts, like just as moms, we notice something's off. What would you say to parents? Uh, like what other signals should they look for? Other, other things that would be indicators that addiction is involved? I would say as a mother or as a parent, you know your child. So listen to those instincts that are inside you. Don't brush them off. When something's telling you that seems a little different or that's a little off, or if you have an inkling or feeling at all, don't ignore it. Trust your instincts and, and go from there. There were times that in the beginning, in retrospect, I look back, that there were things that I was slightly blowing off that was my my sixth sense, my mother's instinct, that you just think, oh, it's a fluke day, or that's this, or that's, there's always, no, just really pay attention to those, your instincts. And that's part of what makes when they're in addiction so hard because your mother's instinct is to run and save and protect. And if you do that in this situation, you actually have to do opposite because when you do that, when addiction's involved, that turns into enabling versus. So you have to really learn to parent in a different way and against your, what I call the mom gene. That's really insightful. I could see you, you really, you cannot, be who you normally are as a mom, like what you just said. That is so powerful. And I could see how your course, your program really is going to make a difference in so many parents' lives. Uh, let me ask you about Trevor. Does he go around with you to different workshops? Does he come alongside? Tell us about that. I am so glad you asked that question, Debbie, because so the way this all even came about was I was doing my, as you know, I'm, I'm a very faith-filled woman. So I was doing my quiet time in the morning with the Lord, which sets up my day. And I have a whole six-step thing I do that really connects and, and, uh, and, you know, centers me. So it was during that time, all of a sudden, he showed me talking to this huge group of women. And I thought, well, what's that about? And then I just kind of blew it off. <laughs> and then the next day, in my quiet time, he showed it to me again. And so I was like, being slightly resistant, because I wasn't sure how I felt about this. <laughs> I was like, this obviously means something to you, God, but you're going to have to show me more. Uh, it could be about my about Mary Kay. It could be about being a single mom. It could be about having a son in the military clearing minefields. I'm like, it could be so many things. You're going to have to give me more. So the next day, he shows me with this group of women, even bigger. I can literally feel the power 
And as the picture pans out, Trevor is standing next to me talking to the women. And I went, whoa, okay, you want me to do, you want me to do this with the moms? And I talked to Trevor about it because it's not just my story. It's his story. And I would in no way at all want to hurt my child, obviously. So I said, how do you feel about me talking about this and creating this? And not only that, how would you feel? And before I even finished my sentence, he said, mom, I am so thrilled you are doing this. It is so needed. And I watched too many of my friends die because their parents enabled them. And I would be thrilled to talk to the parents with you so they can hear it from an addict's side. Oh, my word. That is fabulous. I mean, your heart just had to burst with joy at that point. Oh, my gosh. Uh, every time I see him, it bursts with joy. It, it just doesn't stop. I see him and go, oh, I am so glad I have you. Yeah, I mean, that's a miracle. It is. Truly it is. a miracle. Truly a miracle. Well, he had a purpose for the both of us. And Trevor says, I was a good person before, Mom, but I wouldn't be the man I am today if I hadn't walked through this journey. And I believe God always brings a purpose. So if you are walking through a difficult time, just have trust and hope and know that when you get to, you might have to walk through hell, but when you get to the other side of that bridge, what's over there is there's going to be goodness. There's going to be goodness. There is a hope and a purpose for their lives. In closing, I would love for you to, if there's something you would love to share with any parent that would be listening and even potentially if there's someone who's struggling with addiction, what would you say? For the parent, I would say don't give up hope. No matter how long you feel like you've been hanging, trying to make this happen, just don't give up on hope and find a way to hold on to that hope and get help. You need support, whether it's talking to a friend, whether it's, and the other thing that you really need, you have to get out of yourself. So volunteer. You know, when I was being other person focused, which is what my Mary Kay business helped to bring to me, when I was being other person focused was the only time when I was lost in that, that all those voices weren't swirling in my head and whispers in my ears. So hold on to your hope and find a way to serve. And um, gratitude. I started a gratitude journal. There's always a blessing you can find somewhere and you need to find that to combat the negative. And as for the person that's lost in addiction, the same thing. Don't give up hope that you can get out of it. Reach out to someone and, and get some help, even if it's just to someone to talk to in those moments when you're feeling, you know, lost and drowning and, and, and guilt and all the things that, that rush through them when they are sober. In that moment, don't negate that. Just reach out to someone. And I think you're the perfect person for everyone to reach out to, Tammy. How could they get in touch with you? I have um, my Facebook. I have my Facebook, which is Tammy S. Ward. It has my initial because there's a lot of Tammy Wards out there, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> my email is Tammy S. Ward Coaching at gmail.com. 
my Facebook group that we'll be launching in October is Empowering Moms with Young Adults in Addiction. And my phone number, which you can call or text me, is 814-464-3439. Because it is now my joy and my passion to be able to help moms with children in addiction. And if you're in addiction, reach out as well. I will have all of Tammy's uh, contact information in the show notes as well. And Tammy, I can't even thank you enough for coming on the podcast today because what you shared was just from a mother's heart, a mother's heart that knows and understands. And you've seen the power of addiction on your son and you've seen the journey and you've seen the breakthrough. And now you have tools and skills that you want to give to other parents so that they can succeed as well. So thank you so much for your heart, for your faith. I know God's hand is upon you and will the doors are opening wide for you because you are bringing the answer to so many people who need to hear. So thank you for being here with us today. And I want to thank everyone who has come to listen as we always come together to grow in grace and be transformed by the purpose and power of our transitions. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to DebbieRonka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A dot com.